Did you hear me? I said, I guess I better get ready. <laughs> That's why. It was time. I was sitting there and enjoying that. And my mind goes to racing through different things. And boy, and I ain't got time. I ain't. I don't have time to do this. Um, okay. Let me see. Okay. Da -da 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 -da. Okay. Well, anyway. Okay. Here we are. A um, couple things. Oh, this is uh, not just Anna's birthday, and it's not 9-11, but it's also Grandparents' Day. I just found that out just a few minutes ago when Jana brought Owen in to say, Happy Grandparents' Day. I love you, Pop-Pop. So... Well, that's probably, well, we include that right in. I haven't reached that milestone yet. And it'll be a while, I hope. <laughs> a little while, but I hope I'm there when it happens. <laughs> uh, so, happy Grandparents Day to all of you who've reached that little milestone. If you haven't picked up the financial report for last month, I'm just going to say you'll probably want to go do that. And that's all you need to know right there for now. And um, let's see. what. Else? Oh, yeah. Then I had this prayer letter here, Brant and Melu Holiday. You remember them. We took up an offering for Bibles for them. I think it was in the, um, was it in the Farsi language? For Iran, right. And they're... They've just got confirmation, uh, let's see, 17,000. Well, I think they printed 20,000. They had 3,000 had gotten in already. The other 17,000 they've got confirmed were delivered safely to Iran. One of the men has been put in jail. Now, it has nothing to do with anything associated with the Bibles. I don't think he even knows exactly why. We just know he's got put in jail in Iran. Um, so... We need to remember him, and I don't know his name at all. Then what else does he say? Oh, they're wanting, they've requested even more Bibles now. So they want to print another, well, he doesn't say, he just says $15,000 to print some more Bibles to send over there. And I'll pass, let that go around. There's a picture here of the one of the Farsi Bibles. And uh, then they're leaving, Branton and Melu are leaving this coming Tuesday. And they're going, they're, the goal is to go to England and Turkey and Georgia, Republic of Georgia, that is. Um, a part of that's to meet up with these men that have been working with them to get these Bibles distributed. And um, one other reason, well, two other reasons. One is to verify or confirm just exactly how many of those Bibles have actually been gotten delivered. And the other one, there's a young man here from Eastridge that is going on the trip that wants to become a missionary to the Middle East and, and to uh, Turkey and so on, Spain, mainly you know, to reach Muslims. And so his name's Mike Henson, and he goes to Stanley Heights Baptist Church just up the road here. And So if we'd remember to pray for them, they have a lot going on there. Brant may have remembered was the Europe director for BIMI. He's 
70 or 71, 72 maybe. He's retiring from that position and basically just going into this full-time ministry here of working and getting these Bibles printed and getting them into these uh, restricted countries like, like Iran and Iraq and so on. So it's quite a interesting ministry, a door that the Lord's opened up at his age, but he's willing to do it and, and wants to do it. And so uh, that's, what, that's what they're involved in right now. Okay, so I got that. I got that. And then, uh, I don't know, so, did these come, let's see, did these come in the mail here? Okay, Jackie Powell sent uh, these two little magazines. Now, one is called Lamp and Light. It's published by the Society for Distributing Hebrew Scriptures, and that's their goal. Remember when, when she was here, she showed us the bilingual Bibles, Hebrew plus some other language, and then they're, giving, they're given free only to Jewish people um, who request one or, or if they can give them, get them to take one, you know, that that's corresponds with their native language. And, of course, a lot of them can't even read Hebrew, but the fact that they can see it and recognize it, she said, will enable them a lot of times to take one, whereas in other cases they wouldn't touch one. So that gives them an open door. Then Jackie publishes this little magazine uh, herself, I think she just prints it and everything herself. It's called Light for Israel. And she has a lot of interesting things in here. And uh, one article that she has every time is called Hebrew Nuggets. And she deals a lot with usages of Hebrew words and so on. And uh, you find very interesting. And then also she has um, a very interesting article here called The Rhythm of Jewish Time. And all about how they, you know, count time and the different holidays and so forth. I'll put those back out there because she sends me one personally. So, And if you haven't signed up, if you want to, she'll send them to you. But uh, I'll put this extra one out there, and then uh, you can pick that up if you'd like to have those. Okay, then I hit everything else. Oh, yeah, Jerry mentioned about the chili. Now, we'll wait until it's just a little more chilly, but it looks like maybe the third or fourth Sunday of October or the first Sunday in November would maybe be an ideal time. And if that's a conflict with any of you, let us know. Um, I think as far as I've looked ahead, that'll work for us. I've got to go out of town on the third Sunday of October, but, I mean, that, that would be definitely after we would eat. And then we're going out of town the first Sunday, no, yeah, be, yeah, the first Sunday in November, but that would just be after church, and that would be also after we eat. So, um, no conflicts for us. So, if that works out, uh, I think that'd be a great thing. I, I like that chili; it's good stuff. Vegetarian chili, even that's even better yet. Who's laughing? Uh, um, he's a meatitarian. I like the vegetarian chili. That, that's good stuff. Yeah, but we can bring several different kinds. You got, you know, and then there's white chili. You know, I don't, I'm not a very big fan of that one, but it tastes pretty good. And then you got, and Joy said you got to have some cheese, some sour cream, and the um, the Fritos. Yeah, I think of them chips. Oh, you did. Is that the way it went? You got to have all them little goodies to go with chili. So anyway, that sounds like fun to me. 
Yeah, he will. Yeah, no matter what. Well, one of these days, we'll get things rolling here. We'll get we'll get him and Gary and them. We'll get them to fix a Bahamian meal for us and bring it in. Now that macaroni and cheese you had there yesterday, that was Bahamian style. So that that's that's what we were accustomed to. But we'll get some. We'll have to get some pigeon peas up here. We'll have some peas and rice and potato salad, conch salad, coleslaw, and fried chicken. Now, of course, fried chicken in the Bahamas is just KFC. That's all. When we went to Nassau in 1975, there were the only fast food chain on the whole island was just one, KFC. And there was like seven of them on the island. Now you've got about everything in the world there, but of course KFC has expanded. So in Nassau, KFC is fried chicken. That's what you've got to know there. Uh, when I stopped to get some fried chicken on the way yesterday, I had Gary with me. I brought him out, and then uh, Bob and Mary took him home, and he was happy, very happy when we stopped by KFC to get chicken. So, Yeah, just a small one. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, it's, we can fix that. We'll just make it your turn next time. <laughs> yeah, okay, okay. All right, we are in First Timothy. But we did enjoy the picnic. We thank the Houseleys for opening their privileges there at the Wolf Deaver Fishing Club to have that picnic there, and it was a great day. Perfect weather for it. It wasn't too hot, but the sun was shining. It was warm. Nice little breeze off the water. The girls went swimming, and then after we ate, they wanted to go swimming again. Janet said, no, that's enough of that. They had a... Pardon? Two weeks ago? Yeah, well, it was good because two weeks before, it was pretty warm, wasn't it? And we had a great trip to Indiana. That was Seth and Olivia and I went to, went to Indiana and uh, had a good time there. My mom's still doing great. Um, Joy says she hardly doesn't miss a month sending a check down here to the church. And I'm, I keep forgetting about that. But I told her if we can get us a, a thank you card and everybody from the church sign that, I think that would uh, really move her. I checked her Bible now, the, we interrupted her routine. You know, these older folks, they have routine of life. They do things just, we messed it up. She didn't, I don't think she read there the whole time we were there because we just kept her running and going. But she was up, when we, we left here on August 31st, and her marker was in August 31st. So she's been keeping up with it. I gave her that challenge, you know, to read the Bible through in a year. She's ahead of me. I've gotten behind, and I've got to do some catching up here. But that's a great, great goal if you can do that. It's read through in, in a year's time. It will really enhance your understanding of the Lord's word. At least it did for me. That's one, one of the things that God used to really open his word was when I began to read large portions at, at one sitting. It just, oh, man, just really. I used to go through sluggishly, you know, chapter 2, 3, here and there. But read large portions at a sitting, and it will really do wonders. Okay. Uh, we're in First Timothy, <coughs> and we'll begin chapter two. We'll read. We'll do just the first eight verses here today. It's interesting the way Paul started this letter to Timothy. 
and he gave him this charge or command. The charge was the verb, the command was the noun, this or commandment, which was basically doctrinal correction to make sure that these who had strayed or veered from the mark would get back on path, get back to the truth and not be wandering around in things that were vain, of total uselessness and of no value. I think, if I remember right, we got into a discussion about that yesterday at church. Oh, yeah, Joyce. This girl's humor just never ceases to amaze me. She's sitting there, I mean, with all, you know how all seriousness, straight-faced, doesn't crack even a hint of a smile. I think we need to get us a gym. And we need to join this local softball team and all. And then she just went on and on. Name, you know, we need to have this program and that program. It took me a while to catch on where she was headed. Uh, she, I know you were being facetious, but I'm saying it, it took me about two or three lines down there to figure. Yeah. Oh. Oh yeah. What was that sign now? A digital sign out here. She, I mean, it was, she was naming everything that the church at large is doing today. She's saying that's what we need to do. Okay. Thank. Paul was off into that too, you know, but he dealt with the negative side of that and why we don't do it. And of course, I know Joy was being facetious about that, and I, that's why I finally said I appreciate that humor. Oh man, it can go on too. John, you live with that every day, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, really? His face looks purely angelic. Huh? <laughs> okay. Paul, Paul's, you know, but he, he hit Timothy up hard with this about what his job was and what he was intending for him to do in preaching and teaching in mentoring these these who had this desire to teach and preach and wanted to expound God's word but got off the path. And it's an easy thing to do. It really is. And quite frankly, what you find that is if you get off the beaten path of, of the truth of God's word, you find that preaching becomes a lot easier, much easier. And I find it to be very hard when you stay with the truth. Now, of course, you have God's help. You have his spirit to strengthen you and enable you. And you remember how many times we saw that word in strengthening the other day, a couple weeks ago? But that's what God does. And it's one of those, um, um, what's the word I want to use? Not an oxymoron, but it's one of those enigmas of dealing with the truth is that you feel like you're up against the wall and yet when you what I'm going to say here dig into it search it out seek after the truth the moment you do that the moment you take that step then that's the moment when God enables that's the moment when God strengthens he doesn't do it, in other words, when we just sit back and wait for him to come to us. It's us coming to him. And as soon as we do, then all these things he's promised, he begins to do them. 
And so our own weakness is our own inability to come to God in faith and believing. And you want to hear somebody talk about faith, then just go over there and talk to John Mannery there for a little bit. He'll tell you about faith and just believing God's word. Well, he talked about a couple of men here at the end of the chapter who had done that very thing, and they had rejected the truth of God, Hymenaeus and Alexander. And Paul says there, he delivered unto Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme, not to speak evil, not to revile. And they had, not, they had done the opposite. He says here in verse 19, holding faith. Whereas what they had done was put away faith or rejected faith. And that's the turning point. That's the crux of the whole matter. Holding faith, maintaining faith, or rejecting it, putting it away, casting it away. In which time that happens, we said that, words, what's the condition of a person who has, you know, they've accepted Christ, they've received the gospel, and all that it, in, it entails with it. And then they've turned away from it and rejected it. What does he call that? We saw in James, he calls it a dead faith. In the same way that you have a body and it's alive. And then you can have a body that is dead. And a dead body is doing nothing. And a dead faith does nothing. Peter called it a barren faith. A faith that we're not adding to and progressing in. And he says, if you will add these things to your faith, it will keep you from becoming barren with nothing. And so you notice then in chapter 2 and verse 1, therefore. Therefore, in other words, in the holding on of faith and the maintaining of sound, healthy doctrine, Paul is urging Timothy on and he exhorts him, therefore, he says, that first of all, now he doesn't mean here necessarily first in order of time, but the first thing I'm going to tell you, Timothy, is about prayer. Now, if you remember the well-known passage back in Romans chapter 12, I don't know why, I said, okay, whenever I'm going to do these things, I just go back, I want to look it up and read it, and I went over to 1 Corinthians 12, and it wasn't there. So what in the world am I doing here? And I said, oh, yeah, it's Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, and it's the same word translated here, I exhort you, therefore. So, it's to plead or, or urge someone on to something. And that's what Paul's doing with Timothy here, urging him and his teaching of the truth that supplications and prayers and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. 
For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself (coughs) a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher and an apostle, I speak the truth in Christ and lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Of course, you see the entire section here is dealing with the issues of prayer. And this is what Paul wants to bring forth first to Timothy, the magnitude of prayer and the place of prayer in the church. Because he's dealing with, primarily here, he's dealing with public prayer. Not necessarily private prayers, but public. What we do here in church every Sunday. In praying. Now, these little words, supplications, prayers, and intercessions. They're not heavily difficult or anything. Supplications just means When you supplicate, when you petition, and it just simply means you ask for something. And this word is used uh, of asking God for something. It's used of asking a person, particularly a superior, for something. You just, when you, you you see a common word uh, of petitioning the court in a legal sense. You're asking for something, something specific. And so... Supplications are something that we're urged, (laughs) exhorted to do, is don't be afraid to ask God for things, whatever it be. If it be a material thing, you may need something materially. It may be an immaterial thing. You may need to see God work in somebody's life or in some fashion over a situation that you're in. We're urge to do those things, to petition the Lord. Then he uses the word prayers, just a kind of a a more or less general term describing uh, one who seeks God, who who, um, uh, say pleads with God, who fellowships with God, communes with God in very general terms, prayers, not necessarily formal kinds of things, but it, it depicts the reverence that we have when we pray. And I'm sure you've been around people who prayed irreverently. Uh, I've, I've been around there. I even, I wasn't there, but I heard about a story. This would be a good example, I think, of irreverence where this group, they were in a, in a restaurant. I think it was a group of preachers, if I remember right. And one of the guys was going to lead in prayer, so he just stood up and just hollered and said, okay, folks, help, can I have your attention? The whole restaurant, he said, we're going we're gonna to pray over food right here. Thank God for it. Stopped the whole restaurant, and then he prayed. And, of course, to them it was a humorous situation. But that's a, really a total lack of reverence for the Lord. That's not what prayer should be. And we don't pray and make jokes or something when we're praying 
but I, I know I've heard that done, and I've probably been guilty of it myself. It's a reverent thing, in other words. And then he also mentions here intercessions. Now, we practice intercessory prayer. We pray for others. And to intercede means to go before someone on behalf of another. And that's not exactly what this word means here. Even though the Bible teaches that, and we are to pray for others, and the Bible is very clear about that, that's not exactly what this word is telling us here. It's a different word. And this word here has more the idea, well, the literal meaning is to fall um, to fall in with another person. And it has carries the idea, you know, when you're praying, that you fall in line with God, that your prayers would be harmonious with the truth of God's word, and that you would be able to be transparent before the Lord and to share your personal things. Now, I know I prayed for many, many years without ever doing that, not what I would call in an intimate, personal way. But I remember when I determined that I was going to begin to practice praying that way and just tell the Lord, this is what's on my heart. This is how I feel right now. And that will revolutionize your prayer life. Say, Lord, I'm up against the wall, got a difficult situation right here at work, you know, and you know so-and-so, and you can name the names or... Uh, whether it's at home or, you know, whatever it might be. I've got a difficult time before me. And you just pour your heart out to the Lord, the things that are burdens to you, which might be your family or something like that. But that's the kind of thing that this word is carrying with it. And so in all of this, you see it covers a lot of territory. And we're to pray about a lot of things. And we're to be honest before God. That would be another way to express what this word is implying. Transparency, honest before the Lord. And <laughs> so many times, you know, in public prayers, we just, you know, we pray the usual platitudes and we don't really get down to business. But I like the fact that here we can pray very openly and very honestly with one another and even publicly. Because here... There is a more of a unified spirit than you find in most Christian groups. It just is different. It's not the same. The last thing he says there, and giving of thanks. That tells us something about the spirit in which we should pray. With a heart of, filled with gratitude and thanksgiving for what the Lord has done for us. And notice he says be made for all men make prayers is what he's telling us for all men now that's i i'm sure you've heard the stories you know about people pray well god bless the missionaries you know and and then somebody wants to rebuke them and say you know be specific you know pray for this missionary over here and the needs he's facing well we we, we really need to do both Pray for people by name, but there's certainly nothing wrong with praying for those in general. As a matter of fact, well, you know, there's a lot written about this little word all here. What does it encompass? And it's really difficult to get away from the idea that it simply means all 
men, period. But we're going to hit that again here in just a minute. He says then specifically, and, and notice how prayer, and that's for us here publicly, has to do with government. To pray for kings and all who are in authority. Or literally there, it's all who are in high positions or positions of superiority. And it just simply means anybody that's over us. Whatever state and life we would find them, whether it's in government or wherever. To pray for them. Why should we do that, he says? To lead a quiet and peaceable life. A quiet life. A quiet life there implying or carrying with it the idea of our own inner life. And then a peaceable life would have to do with the external. That which is going on around us. And so, does it make any difference that we pray for the government leaders of this world? The presidents, the kings, the prime ministers? You know, praying for them has an effect upon us. It has an effect upon the believers that are living under that particular government. You know, we have all kinds of different governments in the world. Dictatorial governments, democratic, some kind of republic-oriented like we have, and tribal, and so on. But the point he's making here is that praying for those kinds of people affects our life here as a body of believers. And so we need to hold them up in prayer. And why? So that you might uh, have a life that is in all godliness and honesty, he says. And again, there we're dealing with the, the spiritual side of life on the godly side towards God, how we are to be in our deportment and how we carry ourselves as an individual and then also, he says there, in honesty. And, you know, you, it doesn't mean honesty like we would carry that in today's understanding of the word honest. Every other translation I looked at, they all translate it either with gravity or dignity. And that has to do then with our relationship to our fellow man. How do we conduct ourselves when we walk about in this world? In godliness and with gravity or dignity. Now that speaks volumes to me um, <clears throat> of how I need to change and how I need to orient my life you know, before the Lord. He calls this good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. A good, in other words, a morally, ethically, uh, way to conduct your life and live your life out before the Lord and before the world is with godliness and with gravity or dignity. Why is that? Because he says he will have or who will have all men to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. I was very tempted, and it's a good thing I didn't because we wouldn't have time, and maybe we'll do it later, to look up this word will. Because in, in, in general, you know, it's the literally there, it's uh, who is willing. 
God is willing to have all men to be saved. But it's also used in the sense of determination, determination for a purpose, to accomplish something. And he tells us there he is willing then to have all men to be saved. The word men there is the word anthropos. It means mankind. It's like where we get our word, the study of anthropology, the study of man. It's across the board. It's everybody, mankind, as distinguished from the word aner, which would mean an individual man, a person. So he's not saying who will have all individual males to be saved. He's talking about mankind. He is willing to have all mankind to be saved and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. And of course, the word knowledge there is our word epignosis, commonly understood to being a fuller, deeper knowledge of the truth. And it's God's willingness for that to happen. He desires it, that men might know the truth. Why is that? Because, he says in verse 5, there is one God and one mediator between God and men. Again, it's anthropos. The man, anthropos, Christ Jesus. And that, again, becomes significant then because it tells us then that here you have God. We have this mediator who is mankind and he is the only effectual go-between that there could possibly be between God as creator and man is someone who would be the God-man and by the way the art, there's no article there it's not the man it's just between God and men man or Christ Jesus, or some would say it, himself man, Christ Jesus, supplying the intended word there. So in other words, he's simply saying that Jesus Christ is the, our mediator between God and man, himself mankind. He, in other words, he comes from the same stock that we do. And he tells us there then, in doing this, in being our mediator, our go-between, he gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. Now that first word there, gave, tells us something about what he did. He gave. It was something he did on our behalf. And he gave of himself, of his own manhood, a ransom a payment, a sacrifice, and for who? For all, all mankind, all anthropos, to be testified in due time, at the proper time. And, of course, we know that from Galatians 4.4 4, that uh, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman. We'll be celebrating that here in just a couple months. At Christmas, it was the proper due time. And God had a specified time when he sent his son to die 
for us, to pay a ransom for us. So Paul then, all this is supplemental now to this whole idea of prayer. Why do you pray for for all men? Why do you pray for kings? Why do we pray for all those in, in high lofty positions? Because of these truths here. Of what Christ Jesus has done for us. And in view of that then. And his desire that we would come. All men that is. We all would come to this full knowledge of the truth. You know that tells me something else there. That there are an awful lot of people in this world. Who don't know the full knowledge of the truth. They haven't had that privilege and known the grace of God to come to the full knowledge of the truth. And they need to know. So Paul says, because of that, he says, I'm ordained a preacher and an apostle. I speak the truth in Christ and lie not a teacher of the Gentiles. Well, that was quite a thing for, for a Jew to come up with. A teacher of the Gentiles in true faith and truth, verity. In faith and in truth. Try to think of what was must have been going through Timothy's mind as he was reading these words. Why did he have to tell Timothy? I don't. I'm going to teach her an apostle. Why did he have to tell Timothy? I speak the truth in Christ. I don't, I'm not lying to you, Timothy. You know, all that time they spent together, all that time that he was being mentored by Paul, years of travel and time they spent together. I don't know the full answer to that. But I know Paul's conclusion here. He says, I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. Now, this is important right here because this is our word, aner. He is saying, I will, therefore, that all males, men, pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. It is... In the church setting, it is the primary responsibility of men to lead in prayer. That's what Paul's telling us. Very specifically, it's all males to lead in prayer. And how are they to do that? Lifting up holy hands. In other words, the implication here, and of course, a lot of, a lot of when you look in antiquity at the style of prayer, you know, they prayed... They bowed down on their knees and they would pray holding their hands. They would bow down holding their hands up like this. Or as common today, we just sometimes you'll see people praying with their hands held up, open. The gesture implies that I'm coming to you, Lord, in purity and in honesty. I'm holding nothing back. As a matter of fact, he says... There, without wrath and doubting, that's very two very specific things that he's talking about. Because if you have wrath and if you have doubting when you come before the Lord, then 
You really cannot pray. And you cannot do this thing about intercessions, about falling in with another person. You cannot really pray in, in a context like that. And so when you pray with holy hands lifted up, open before the Lord, you're being tra- what it means is you're, we're just being transparent before the Lord. Now, I know it's common for us, you know, sometimes people lead in public prayer. They'll just bow their heads like this, put their hands behind their back. Sometimes we'll hang on to the pew in front of us and, you know, I don't know that those things are necessarily wrong, but I do know that in public prayer, when we stand before the Lord and we do it with the kind of awe and reverence that Paul is speaking about in this passage, that we need to do so in a way that demonstrates that I'm not coming here hypocritically. My prayer is honest and genuine before God. And that's what lifting up a holy hand implies and carries with it. And, of course, wrath and doubting, I mean, they're just incompatible with prayer. How can we come before the Lord angry and expect God to hear our prayers? I think that's why the Lord tells us as husbands and wives, don't let the sun go down on your wrath because he also tells us over there in um, is it first Peter 3 so that our prayers with our spouses won't be hindered you know and they can be hindered and it's an important thing to practice maybe a hard thing to practice I find it hard I don't know about you but I find it difficult but it has to be done. It's the way to do it. So this whole tone of prayer then sets in motion what Paul is going to lead into. He's going to come into women in the church here, the role of women in the church in the next section. Of course, we won't do that today, but you might want to read ahead and think about what Paul's talking about here because Paul gets pretty clear and plain in his instruction as to how it's to be done and you know when when God speaks plainly then it's up to us to be obedient to it okay I'm done said what I want to say today I hope the Lord was in it let's pray father we thank you for this opportunity to share your word to talk about things that touch us very deeply to also know that we've talked about things where it speaks to us to the point where we know we need to change things in our lives and to do what's right before you. And, Lord, I pray that you give us the grace and the courage to do that, to step forth with boldness, to walk with uh, godliness before you and gravity and dignity before our fellow man and doing those things that would be pleasing to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.